Welcome to Set Free 24-7, and thank you for joining us on our journey through the message. Today, we begin our journey in Matthew chapter 22. Get ready for a showdown of questions as the religious leaders try to trap Jesus, but he responds with wisdom and wit, leaving them amazed. Next, we're in Romans chapter 3. Brace yourself for a reality check. We all fall short, but don't worry. God's righteousness and grace are here to save the day. Then we go to Psalm chapter 51. Join King David in a heartfelt song of repentance and restoration, reminding us that forgiveness and a clean slate are just a prayer away. And lastly, we have Numbers chapter 7 and 8. It's time for a grand dedication ceremony as the leaders bring their gifts and the Levites step up to serve in the tabernacle, all under the watchful eye of God's guidance and blessings. So let's dive in and witness the celebration. Welcome to A Journey Through the Message. My name is Robert. And my name is Heidi. How are you today, my wife? I am good. It is a steamer outside today. It is a steamer. And this is our first episode that we're doing in a new little spot that Mm -hmm. we took some time and created in our place. And so far, so good. I mean... I think I'm really going to like your new setup over here. We were a little cramped in our other room that we were in, sitting right next to each other. I love rubbing elbows with you, but I would much rather look across from you like we are now. This is set up way, way better. And we're still close enough. We can do a little elbow rub. We are. I could could probably play footsie with you You if I tried hard enough. We could, and that'd be okay because we're married. We are married. Footsie's allowed. (laughs) (laughs) So it was July 4 yesterday. Man, we had a great day. Mm -hmm. Big shout out to all the people that decide to spend a little bit of their own money to give other people a great time. I mean, whoever it was across the lake from us, we've witnessed those fireworks a couple times. And they've always been amazing. I'm left speechless almost when I watch them. It is truly incredible how good those fireworks were and i know there's a lot of people they hate those fireworks it's you know small children babies your your dogs your animals they're terrified scared to death and we had a situation and i think it was maybe because we were in the cottage versus our regular home so that's a little different we had the grandkids over and people visiting so our poor blind old dog nutmeg had an episode where she really was kind of traumatized by the fireworks Uh, yesterday. And that was a first for us to deal with. I feel for people whose dogs are absolutely scared to death. Just love on them and do the best you can for them and, and just give them some extra love. But I'm also in that camp where I really do. I enjoy the fireworks so i don't hate dogs and i think anybody that knows me knows that but (laughs) i do enjoy the fireworks and they were spectacular great company you know a little bit of family over the grandson staying overnight and i just got back from there actually you came home a little earlier i just got back from a day at the lake i've been swimming and floating and And got a little bit of got a little bit of color (laughs) So in keeping with the July 4 theme of independence mm-hmm. and freedom, yes, I actually want to shine a little light on some people who won't experience that. Oh. In the Crossroads Prayer Journal today, we have a story and just a highlight on students who face a life sentence or the death penalty. I can't imagine. I know. Standing there and receiving that as my own, like... That sentence, that proclamation that was yeah. handed to me, and there is absolutely nothing I can do about it, and I'm about to be let off, and I will never be outside again Yes, for the rest of my life. I can't imagine. My stomach just is flip-flopping trying to imagine what it's like to hear that and the full reality of what that means for your life just becomes as real as I can imagine anything comes. And you've got the guards coming up, the shackles are there, the vehicle's waiting outside for you. 
and your entire future isn't unknown anymore. You know exactly what's yeah what it's like. This is a crazy mm. statistic. I didn't even know this uh, before, but according to a study done by the Sentencing Project, one in seven people that are incarcerated in the United States are facing a life sentence, and 2,500 are facing execution. I am speechless at those numbers. I lit- I truly had no idea that it was such a high percentage of people that are serving a life sentence. And no. I know that it yeah, can that, be it parole can be a, eligible, Yeah, but that's still that's maybe, 20 right, years, 20 years. Yeah. And that's not saying you're going to get the okay. No, the parole board, just because you have a life sentence with parole, with, mm. it's the possibility of mm-hmm. parole. So it's not a right. guarantee that you're going to be set free. I imagine myself, and I would be well into my 70s. There's something that a student wrote in who is experiencing this exact thing that kind of shines a light on this whole situation. It's written by a guy named Forrest, and he says, Facing the death penalty or life in prison, I was determined to kill myself. Breaking open a razor, I wrote letters to my children to say goodbye before my eyes were drawn to a Bible just sitting there collecting dust on a shelf. I opened it to the book of John and began to read. Soon, tears were streaming down my face and I sank to my knees and I opened my heart to God. I have learned much from my studies of God's word, including 16 years with Crossroads Prison Ministries. Isn't that amazing? 16? He's got to be a tier three student, I bet. Uh, Just, I mean, it's amazing. The dedication and what he's put into, you know, we give our students certificates, you know, when they finish one of the tiers that they're on. And I know that that certificate isn't, it doesn't equate to, you know, like a degree from Harvard Mm. or, you know, anything like that, but Mm. it is a reminder and it shows this is how I chose to spend my time. Right. This is what I decided to do with my life. Mm-hmm. Regardless if he's just doing it for prison, you know, there's a lot of people that say, oh, you go to prison and you find religion or you find Jesus and whatever, you know, even if he was faking it just to maybe make mm-hmm. it, I would rather have him have his head inside of a Bible doing Bible things yes. and being encouraged by one of our mentors yes. than doing a lot of other things that happen in prison. I dare say that there's not many people that are willing to fake Finding God for 16 16 years. years. And I can only imagine how many people around him have been affected. Oh, for sure. By his turning to God. But man, thank you, God, for showing up Mm -hmm. and preserving a life. When somebody is so fully prepared, they are ready. They're actively in the plan and something catches their eye, and yep. it's the word of God in John. There was something in John that mm-hmm. just <laughs> reached out and grabbed him. Yep. And now 16 years as a student, I am awed. I know. How it's ma- humbling. How many of us on the outside are putting that much time into studying God? So, Father God, thank you for... Being the God of freedom, Mm. the God who gives us freedom, even in the worst circumstances where most people may think there is no freedom there, you have the ability to break chains, to open eyes, and to make hearts open and receptive to you. Going to prison, that ground is holy, and you are there. There are people there now that are following you, talking about you and trusting you. So in this time that we celebrate freedom here, I also celebrate the freedom of those men and women that you reached into jail and prison and gave the true freedom. Mm -hmm. We may celebrate with some fireworks out here about living in this free land that we live in, but people that are in jail and in prison can celebrate that they truly know the God that makes them free. So thank you for being the God of freedom today and just allowing your sons and your daughters to experience that. I ask this all in your holy name, I pray. Amen. Amen.
Yes, I just want to make one quick statement yes, on, on that. And you had made that statement, and a lot of people are like, oh, yeah, they go to prison and they find God. And what if we looked at it the other way? What if they needed to go to the prison for sure and be found by God? God was never lost. He was always right there. It's us that's, that are lost. Yeah. And sometimes we need to be put in a place where we can't keep running Zero distractions. And, and, <laughs> and God will get you right there. Yeah. God was never lost. Yep. So he's amazing. Well, this is good so far today. It is I good. Mean, I mean, you're amazing always, but. <laughs> <laughs> I think we can look, we can just listen to all the prior recordings and everybody would come to the conclusion that I am not. Well, I do my best <laughs> to make you sound that way. So I appreciate it. You're greatly. going to be starting out here today in Matthew chapter 22, and you're going to be reading verses 15 to 33. Perfect. Uh, we're starting out, and this is titled Paying Taxes, Everyone's Favorite Activity oh, in Mid April. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. That's when the Pharisees plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging. They sent their disciples, with a few of Herod's followers mixed in, to ask, Teacher, we know you have integrity. Teach the way of God accurately, are indifferent to popular opinion, and don't pander to your students. So tell us honestly, is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Jesus knew they were up to no good, and he said, Why are you playing these games with me? Why are you trying to trap me? Do you have a coin? Let me see it. They handed him a silver piece. This engraving, who does it look like and whose name is on it? They said, Caesar. Then give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. The Pharisees were speechless. They went off shaking their heads. That same day, Sadducees approached him. This is the party that denies any possibility of resurrection. They asked, Teacher, Moses said that if a man dies childless, his brother is obligated to marry his widow and father a child with her. Here's a case where there were seven brothers. The first brother married and died, leaving no child, and his wife passed to his brother. Hmm. Not a fan of that practice, hmm. but anyways... The second brother also left her childless, then the third, and on and on, all seven. Eventually, the wife died. Now, here's our question. At the resurrection, whose wife is she? She was a wife to each of them. <laughs> Jesus answered, you're off base on two counts. You don't know what God said, and you don't know how God works. Mm. Oh, ouch, mm. and these are the leaders. Yeah. At the resurrection, we're beyond marriage. Mm. As with the angels, all our ecstasies and intimacies then will be with God. And regarding your speculation on whether the dead are raised or not, don't you read your Bibles? The grammar is clear. God says, I am, not was, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. The living God defines himself not as the God of dead men, but of the living. Hearing this exchange, the crowd was much impressed. I love how Jesus just comes in and, I mean, just puts them on their head, right? They don't even know, know. what to do or what to say. I know. He is just brilliant in the way he interacts with people that are trying to set him up for a fall in I love to study that because I want to learn from it mm. because he'll ask a question and they sure. walk right into it, like yeah. literally right on into it. And then bam, he hits him upside the head with the Bible. Plain as day, right in front of your face. Grammar's clear. And sometimes those arguments, mm -hmm. they don't even have to be arguments. You're just no. leading people right to the truth right? and setting it right there. You don't have to yes. scream, yell. You don't have to try to make somebody memorize something. Mm -hmm. This is just bringing them to the truth and setting it right there. It's right there. You've you've been practicing this your entire life, mm -hmm. leaders. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm. I love it. It is good. 
And the question to think about on this segment is, why do you think that Jesus' answers surprised the religious leaders? And how can we show wisdom and kindness in our conversations? That's a big one. I know showing wisdom and kindness, you know, Mm. sometimes it's very intentional. Yes. When you go into something and it's... It's not always easy. The wisdom part comes far easier for people than the kindness part comes. And it's important to have those together when you approach big discussions or those who may be trying to challenge you. And next, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 3, and I'll be taking up here and seeing what kind of trouble Paul's getting into. So what difference does it make who's a Jew and who isn't? Who's been trained in God's ways and who hasn't? As it turns out, it makes a lot of difference, but not the difference that so many have assumed. First, there's the matter of being put in charge of writing down and caring for God's revelation these holy scriptures. So what if, in the course of doing that, some of these Jews abandoned their post? God didn't abandon them. Do you think that their faithlessness cancels out his faithfulness? Not on your life. Depend on it. God keeps his word even when the whole world is lying through its teeth. Scripture says the same. Your words stand fast and true. Rejection doesn't phase you. (laughs) But if our wrongdoing only underlines and confirms God's right doing, shouldn't we be commended for helping out? Since our lies don't even make a dent in his truth, isn't it wrong of God to back us to the wall and hold us to our word? These questions come up. The answer to such questions is no, a most emphatic no. How else would things ever get straightened out if God didn't do the straightening? It's simply perverse to say, if my lies serve to show off God's truth all the more gloriously, why blame me? I'm doing God a favor. Some people are actually trying to put such words in our mouths, claiming that we go around saying, the more evil we do, the more good God does, so let's just do it. That's Pure slander, as I'm sure you will agree. So where does that put us? Do we Jews get a better break than the others? Not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, start out in identical conditions, which is to say that we all start out as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score. Nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. No one's living right. I can't find a single one. Their throats are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouths and pollute the air. They race for the honor of sinner of the year. Litter the land with heartbreak and ruin. They don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God the time of day. This makes it clear, doesn't it, that whatever is written in these scriptures is not what God says about others, but to us to whom these scriptures were addressed in the first place. And it's clear enough, isn't it, that we are sinners, every one of us, in the same sinking boat with everyone else. Our involvement with God's revelation doesn't put us right with God. What it does is force us to face our complicity in everyone else's sin. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this. 
Since we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives that God wills for us, God did it for us. Out of sheer generosity, he put us in right standing with himself, a pure gift. He got us out of the mess that we're in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. God sacrificed Jesus on the altar of the world to clear that world of sin. Having faith in him sets us in the clear. God decided on this course of action in full view of the public to set the world in the clear with himself through the sacrifice of Jesus, finally taking care of the sins that he had so patiently endured. This is not only clear, but it is now. This is current history. God sets things right. He also makes it possible for us to live in his rightness. So where does that leave our proud Jewish insider claims and counterclaims? Canceled? Yes, canceled. What we've learned is this. God does not respond to what we do. We respond to what God does. We've finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and all others by letting him set the pace, not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. And where does that leave our proud Jewish claim of having a corner on God? Also canceled. God is the God of outsider non-Jews as well as insider Jews. How could it be otherwise since there is only one God? God sets right all who welcome his action and enter into it, both those who follow our religious system and those who have never heard of religion. But by shifting our focus from what we do to what God does, don't we cancel out all of our careful keeping of the rules and ways that God commanded? Not at all. What happens, in fact, is that by putting that entire way of life in its proper place, we confirm it. And there is a pause here on this chapter, and it says, justice is served. Justification is a biblical word that I've rendered in Romans 3 verse 24 as God putting us in right standing with himself. It paints a picture of a courtroom where God is the judge. The Old Testament, especially the Psalms, is replete with pictures of God as judge. Paul's picture has each of us standing individually before God in eternal judgment. If we were left to finish the picture ourselves, justification would be the consequent execution of justice, the pronouncement of our guilt and an appropriate sentence. And that, of course, is what the word originally meant. But a new unexpected element has radically altered the picture for Paul and for us. Jesus Christ enters the courtroom, and both the court and the key word justification become transformed. The courtroom is no longer a site for cross-examination, but the site for creation. Instead of being judged, humankind is acted on by God, and we become new creations in Christ. The chasm between humanity's sin and God's righteousness is bridged by the act of justification. Justification begins with an acquisition. It ends with an acquittal. It begins by administering justice, and it ends by making us just. And this is how the verdict was rendered. The judge stepped down from his judgment seat removed his courtly robes, took our guilt upon himself, and served our sentence by dying in our place. The result? Justice is served. The case is closed. And we are free. And we never have to worry about being tried in that courtroom again. And that, my friends, was Romans chapter 3. 
I love the message version in Romans. I just, Mm. I love how it breaks it down. It's so convicting in all the best ways. Mm. You know, I've listened to you, what you just wrapped up there. How often do I forget that he took off those robes, stepped down from behind that Mm. place he was sitting And said, this is your sentence. This is what you're deserving of. I'm paying for it. Willingly going to die for me. And I continue to sin. I continue to do all these things. And I so often forget that the price of my freedom came at the cost of God's son. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to get more into Romans. This is great. I really liked how it said um, in there, it said the courtroom is no longer a site for cross-examination, but it's the site for creation. Mm. Instead of being judged, humankind is acted on by God and we become new creations in Christ. It's beautiful. It's remarkable that he loves us so much. And the questions that we have today for Romans 3 are, what does it mean to fall short or make mistakes? I mean, I, I don't know. Heidi, have you fallen short recently? Or so, <laughs> I'm, I don't have nearly enough fingers I and know. toes for just today alone. So, to our listeners, what does it mean to you when you fall short? Well, how do you feel when you know that you're falling short? Okay, and then how does God's love and forgiveness help us? Hmm. What kind of assurance does that give you when you have the assurance of forgiveness? These are great questions. Are. Thank you. I spent a little time on these today. <laughs> I Those are really, really good questions. Good. And I look forward to putting my answer down and I hope to see others. That's right. If this is your first uh, time checking us out or if you've been checking us out like 50 some episodes, welcome and thank you for your support. And we do have a Facebook group that you mm-hmm. can jump over. We'll have these questions posted there. If you want to join the conversation, you can always throw it down in the comments or we appreciate your support. We do. And now for everyone's favorite part, we are going to jump in the Wayback Machine and rewind back to the Old Testament. Heidi. Yes. You are going to be checking out some psalms here. Now, I I know that this is a David psalm. It is. This was a David psalm after he was confronted by Nathan about the affair with Bathsheba. Now be careful with that word affair because it sounds very much like they were caught in adultery. That's not what it was. This was a rape. This was not a mutual Bathsheba's in on this. Um, She was the victim of David here. All right, here we go in Psalm 51. Crazy. Torrential downpour. Uh, It suddenly just I hope that we've got lumber for an ark because that's kind of what the rainfall looks like right now. Wowzer. It is like all of a sudden coming down. It is. I thought somebody was like taking off with our van. (laughs) I'm like, how did it go from the sun is shining and it's hot to it's just buckets of water? But that's all right. right, I'll take it. I'm going to read here out of Psalm 51. Generous in love, God give grace. Huge in mercy, wipe out my bad record. Scrub away my guilt. Soak out my sins in your laundry. I know how bad I've been. My sins are staring me down. You're the one I violated, and you've seen it all. Seen the full extent of my evil. You have all the facts before you. Whatever you decide about me is fair. Mm -hmm. I've been out of step with you for a long time, in the wrong since before I was born. What you're after is truth from the inside out. Enter me then, conceive a new, true life. Soak me in your laundry and I'll come out clean. Scrub me and I'll have a snow-white life. Tune me into foot-tapping songs. Set these once-broken bones to dancing. 
Don't look too long for blemishes. Give me a clean bill of health. God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. I love that. Mm. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness in me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails. Give me a job teaching rebels your ways so the lost can find their way home. Commute my death sentence, God, my salvation, God, and I'll sing anthems to your life-giving ways. Unbutton my lips, dear God. I'll let loose with your praise. Going through the motions doesn't please you. A flawless performance is nothing to you. I learned God worship when my pride was shattered. Mm -hmm. Heart-shattered lives, ready for love, don't for a moment escape God's notice. Make Zion the place you delight in. Repair Jerusalem's broken-down walls. Then you'll get real worship from us, acts of worship small and large, including all the bulls they can heave onto your altar. That was a beautiful psalm. It was. I, As I'm reading that, I'm just trying to imagine this king, this mm. chosen one who's been given everything. And he not only raped a woman and conceived a child with her, he killed her her husband because he wanted what someone else had. And now he got called out on it. A messenger directly from God, Nathan, came to him. And I can't even imagine Mm. this mighty king brought to his knees. And these are all things that he wrote and sang. He was a brilliant musician. He didn't hide this. These weren't secret readings. He publicly proclaimed this. He wasn't hiding his sin. He confessed it. He spoke it. He, all of this was done publicly, but we often talk about being humiliated or how embarrassing. Can you even imagine? Because other people that would have done that would have been stoned. Sure. And he's the king. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. There is a pause here from Eugene Peterson. It's just a quick one, but it says, good gone bad. Alongside the basic fact that God made us good is the equally basic fact that we have gone bad. Something like the way that good fruit goes bad. For our experience of sin consists not in doing bad but in being bad. It's a fundamental condition of our existence, not a temporary lapse into error. Confessing our sin isn't resolving not to sin anymore. It's discovering what God has resolved to do with us as sinners. And what he has resolved to do is tune us into the foot-tapping songs of forgiveness Mm. and set our once broken bones to dancing if we just stop to think just for a few moments about what he's Mm -hmm. literally done for us why are we not joyfully dancing and just yes singing his praises all the time yes it's such a i uh i get overwhelmed Mm. with my failures to praise god And the question to think about from this segment is, why is it important to admit when we've done something wrong? Do we have to? That's hard. I know the admitting part is bad because, I mean, you just, ooh, it's scary. I know. Transparency. Yes. And the secondary part of that is, how can we ask God for forgiveness and start fresh? Because isn't that fresh start really what you want? I mean, the last time that you have started fresh, didn't you feel renewed and just, I'm ready to go. I can take on the world. It, and it's You say that and I'm like, how do I even get across how real that is? Yeah. God does not want you carrying the weight of your sins. 
He didn't create us to carry shame and no, guilt around. No, it it's not making you a good Christian to sit and grovel and talk about how horribly vile and let your excrement on a bottom of his shoe. You are talking about the child of God. Yes. How dare we ever tell yourself something good for how, a change? You're a I mean, child of God, forgiven. God looks at you and says, yeah. that's my child and they're perfect and I love them. How would you feel if one of your kids was just walking around saying, I'm I'm a piece of dung, you know? And I mean I mean, literally speaking these negative things over your over their life, you would yes. run up to them and, and like just look at them, hold them by the shoulders and face them it's and like, say what are you not getting? I love you. Mm-hmm. You're the best. I don't care yes. about any of this all of this stuff is temporary. I love you. Yes. And that's what God is saying. It is. So to the one, to the people that just in a sense of shame or Mm. a sorrow for what you've done, if you're hanging on to that, please, please go to your father right now and just give it to him. He's already paid it. He's already paid for it. And to those who may sometimes maybe use that groveling, I'm worthless, I'm Mm. this and that as Mm -hmm. a pious Christian thing. Sure. You need to go to your father too and hand that over and say, I am so sorry. I'm sorry, father. Mm. Let's just worry about living life and thanking God Mm. above who gave Mm. it to us. Yes. Amen. And we are going to end the day today in numbers. We are just churning right along with some numbers. We have numbers chapter seven and eight. And I'll be picking up to end the day. Thanks again for joining along with us. Yeah. Oh, you've got some reading to do here. All right, friends. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what's uh, in store here, but uh, we're gonna we're gonna power through this together. That's how this is gonna work. So, Numbers chapter seven. When Moses finished setting up the dwelling, he anointed it and consecrated it along with all that went with it. At the same time, he anointed and consecrated the altar and its accessories. The leaders of Israel, the heads of ancestral tribes who had carried out the census, brought offerings. They presented before God six covered wagons and twelve oxen, a wagon from each pair of leaders and an ox from each leader. God spoke to Moses, Receive these so that they can be used to transport the tent of meeting. Give them to the Levites according to what they need for their work. Moses took the wagons and oxen and then gave them to the Levites. He gave two wagons and four oxen to the Gershonites for their work and four wagons and eight oxen to the Mirrorites for their work. They were all under the direction of Ithamar, son of Aaron the priest. Moses didn't give any to the Kohathites because they had to carry the holy things for which they were responsible on their shoulders. When the altar was anointed, the leaders brought their offerings for its dedication and presented them before the altar because God had instructed Moses, each day one leader is to present his offering for the dedication of the altar. On the first day, Nashon, son of Amminadab, of the tribe of Judah, brought his offering. His offering was a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering, a he-goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Nashon, son of Amminadab. On the second day, Nathaniel, son of Zuar, the leader of Issachar, brought his offering. His offering was a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds, and a silver bowl weighing one and three-quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering, a he-goat for an absolution offering, 
two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Nathanael, son of Zuar. On the third day, Eliab, son of Helon, the leader of the people of Zebulun, brought his offering. His offering was a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces with incense, a young bull, a ram, a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering, a he goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Eliab, son of Helon. On the fourth day of Christmas, my... Oh, sorry. (laughs) On the fourth day, (laughs) Eliezer, son of Shedeur, the leader of the people of Reuben, brought his offering. His offering was a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering, a he goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he goats, and five yearling lambs to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Eliezer, son of Shadur. On the fifth day, Shalumiel, son of Zahul. Oh, wow. <laughs> Zerishadai. <laughs> yeah, Shalumiel, son of Zerishadai, <laughs> the leader of the people of Simeon, brought his offering. His offering was a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing, you guessed it, one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense, a young bowl, a ram, and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering, a he goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Shalumiel, son of Zerishadai. The first three people who respond and can pick up on the (laughs) reoccurring theme here will possibly receive a little something in the mail. Oh, we have bumper stickers. Drop us a line if you are picking up on the theme here. Absolutely. We would love to hear it. (laughs) On the sixth day, Eliasaph, son of Duel, the leader of the people of Gad, brought his offering. His offering was a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour and with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense, a young bowl, a ram, and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering, a he goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Eliasaph, son of Duel. On the seventh day, Elishama, son of Amihud, the leader of the people of Ephraim, brought his offering. His offering was a plate, a silver plate weighing three and three quarters, How do I get it wrong now? I thought we had changed it up and maybe they brought something else. A silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour and mixed with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering a he-goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Elishama, son of Amihud. 
On the eighth day, Gamaliel, son of Padazar, a leader of the people of Manasseh, brought his offering. His offering was a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense, a young bowl, a ram, and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering, a he-goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs, all to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Gamaliel, son of Padazar. On the ninth day, Abedan, son of Gideonai, the leader of the people of Benjamin, brought his offering. His offering was a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense, a young bull, a ram, and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering, a he-goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs, all to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Abedan, son of Gideonai. On the tenth day, Ahizer, on the tenth day, Ahizer, son of Amishadai, the leader of the people of Dan, he brought his offering, and his offering was... I can't wait. I bet you know it. Here we go, people. It's a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each of them filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering. A gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense. A young bull a ram, and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering, a he-goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Ahizer, son of Amishadai. On the eleventh day, Pagiel, son of Okran, the leader of the people of Asher, brought his offering. His offering was drum roll a silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds according to the standard sanctuary weights each filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense a young bull a ram and a yearling lamb for a whole burnt offering a he-goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs to be sacrificed as a peace offering. This was the offering of Pagiel, son of Okran. On the twelfth day, Ahira, son of Enan, the leader of the people of Nephtali, brought his offering. His offering was... A silver plate weighing three and a quarter pounds, and a silver bowl weighing one and three quarter pounds, according to the standard sanctuary weights, each filled with fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering, a gold vessel weighing four ounces filled with incense, <laughs> a young bull and ram, and a yearling lamb. For a whole burnt offering, a he-goat for an absolution offering, two oxen, five rams, five he-goats, and five yearling lambs, all to be sacrificed as a peace offering. And this was the offering of Ahira, son of Enan. These were the dedication offerings of the leaders of Israel for the anointing of the altar. Twelve silver plates, twelve silver bowls, and twelve gold vessels. They've got a full plate setting for 12. They do. Each plate weighed three and a quarter pounds and each bowl one and three quarter pounds. All the plates and bowls together weighed about 60 pounds using the official sanctuary weight. 
The 12 gold vessels filled with incense weighed four ounces each using the official sanctuary weight, and altogether the gold vessels weighed about three pounds. The sum total of animals used for the whole burnt offering together with the grain offering was 12 bulls, 12 rams, and 12 yearling lambs. This could be a really good exercise in addition, subtraction, mm-hmm. and multiplication yes. with your children. Have them chime in here. For the absolution offering, we had 12 he-goats. The sum total of animals for the sacrifice of the peace offering, 24 bulls, 60 rams, 60 he-goats, and 60 yearling lambs. These were the offerings for the dedication of the altar after it was anointed. When Moses entered the tent of meeting to speak with God, he heard the voice speaking to him from between the two angel cherubim above the atonement cover on the chest of testimony. He spoke with him. And friends, that's the end of chapter 7. There's a quick little question here that says, Why do you think God saw to it that the inventory of offerings in this chapter was included in sacred scripture. And what sticks with you from reading Numbers chapter 7? There was a lot of stuff in there. There was. I have a thought, but I'm interested in what your thought is, or we'll just leave thoughts online. I think it's it all goes back to he's a God of details, mm-hmm. and he he's teaching his people how he is to be worshipped and he's letting them know like it crossed my mind and again i have all these things sure. that crossed my mind but i'm like what is the reason for this because it's repetitive repetitive mm-hmm. repetitive and i'm like it's exactly the same the only thing different is the clans the names mm-hmm. the way I am seeing this until I find out otherwise somehow, I guess, is I wonder if that's like, it it is, everything was pointing towards Jesus, but there was one sacrifice, one way to salvation, one for all people. These are all the people, Mm. but exactly the same requirement to cover sin, nothing greater, nothing less than it had to be that. If it was all different and it pointed to Jesus, it's kind of a chaotic, well, how do you figure out, like, some need a little less of Jesus, some need a little bit more. Sure. How does that go? I don't know if that's anything yeah. to do with it. Interesting. Or, I don't know. It just had crossed my mind if that was yeah. part of it, just that showing that it has to be exactly this to be accepted. So one of the questions I have to think about from just this chapter Mm -hmm. are, what are some ways we can show dedication and gratitude Mm. to God? And now I'll be ending the day here in Numbers chapter 8. Again, thank you so much for sticking along. And if you happen to pick up on that, absolutely drop it down in the comments. We'd be happy to send you a bumper sticker. We got some fun stuff over here. Yes, we do. So here's Numbers chapter 8. God spoke to Moses. Tell Aaron, install the seven lamps so that they will throw light in front of the lampstand. Aaron did just that. He installed the lamp so that they threw light in front of the lampstand, as God instructed Moses. The lampstand was made of hammered gold from its stem to its petals. It was made precisely to the design that God had shown Moses. God spoke to Moses, Take the Levites from the midst of the people of Israel and purify them for doing God's work. This is the way you will do it. Sprinkle water of absolution on them. Have them shave their entire bodies. Have them scrub their clothes. Then they will have purified themselves. Have them take a young bull with its accompanying grain offering of fine flour mixed with oil, plus a second young bull for an absolution offering. Bring the Levites to the front of the tent of meeting and gather the entire community of Israel. Present the Levites before God as the people of Israel lay their hands on them. Aaron will present the Levites before God as a wave offering from the people of Israel so that they will be ready to do God's work. 
Had the Levites placed their hands on the heads of the bulls, selecting one for the absolution offering and another for the whole burnt offering to God, to make atonement for the Levites. Then had the Levites stand in front of Aaron and his sons and present them as a wave offering to God. This is the procedure for setting apart the Levites from the rest of the people of Israel. The Levites are exclusively for my use. After you have purified the Levites and presented them as a wave offering to God, they can go to work in the tent of meeting. The Levites have been selected out of the people of Israel for my exclusive use. They function in place of every firstborn male to an Israelite woman. Every firstborn male in Israel, animal or human, is set aside for my use. When I struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, I consecrated them for my holy uses. But now, I take the Levites as stand-ins in place of every firstborn son in Israel, selected out of the people of Israel. And I have given the Levites to Aaron and his sons to do all the work involved in the tent of meeting on behalf of all of the people of Israel, and to make atonement for them, so that nothing bad will happen to them when they approach the sanctuary. Moses, Aaron, and the entire community of the people of Israel carried out these procedures with the Levites, just as God had commanded Moses. The Levites purified themselves and scrubbed their clothes. Then Aaron presented them as a wave offering before God and made atonement for them to purify them. Only then did the Levites go to work at the tent of meeting. Aaron and his son supervised them, following the directions that God had given. God spoke to Moses. These are your instructions regarding the Levites. At the age of 25, they will join the workforce in the tent of meeting. At the age of 50, they must retire from the work. They can assist their brothers in the tasks of the tent of meeting, but they are not permitted to do the actual work themselves. These are the ground rules for the work of the Levites. And I have a quick pause here from Eugene Peterson, and then we can chat about uh, those couple chapters there. Yes. So this is titled, Holy Things in Human Hands. Mm. Numbers chapter 8 talks about the priestly clan of the Levites, their work, and their sanctification for the work. They were to attend to the tent of meeting, where the rituals and ceremonies of the faith were enacted. The closest we have to Levites today is pastoral staff. How are pastors today to go about their assigned tasks? Their office assigns them certain pastoral responsibilities, such as preaching the scriptures, serving communion, shepherding the flock, and so on. And their church assigns them certain ceremonial responsibilities, such as weddings, funerals, and baptisms. How are they to exercise those responsibilities without their becoming routine and burdensome, as they sometimes were for the priests and Levites later in Israel's history? The real work of pastors on every occasion, whether preaching the word or performing weddings, requires the priestly service of prayer. Their vocation is to be responsive to what God is saying at those ceremonial moments in the life of the community of faith. The ceremonies are over in an hour or so, but the prayers continue. This is the real work. Holding weddings and baptisms and funerals before God in the continual presence of prayer. That way, the holy is never profaned, never common, and never routine. That's how these pastoral functions become sacraments, true sacraments in the purest sense of the word, where holy things are handled with human hands, and in the process, the hands themselves are made more holy. And that, my friends, is the end of Numbers chapter 8. I think that I at times may ask you to just open up your your Bible because you have a different, it, we both have the message, sure. but different types. So you have those notes that I don't have in them. Mm. 
I always look over those notes yes. on the passages that you read to mm. make sure that we're including those in there. Perfect. Yes. So the one that you just read, mm-hmm. with having recently finished even ministry training sure. and also schooling and now being a chaplain, it makes me see that there's there's a certain way I need to approach that work. Mm-hmm. The way he described it, and it truly, it is being on God's holy ground. And it's me as this little tiny human and mm. and yourself also using holy things to serve God's sure. people. And wow, that just, it impacted me the... Mm the gravity of what I've taken on in the importance of keeping it holy and of doing it right and of preparing myself before I go to serve in those roles. It's important. Well, we like to release our episodes on Fridays. And I know this coming Friday, you have some possible news coming. I and do. we won't go into any of that. But I would say when you're listening to the, to this I would just say keep Heidi in your prayers. There's some cool doors that may Mm -hmm. be available to be open, and we've been praying for something. So uh, we'll just wait and see what God has in store here because it's nothing that we would have ever sought out. No, no, it's 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 a unique thing to be in life where doors are flinging open that I didn't pursue. Sure, but when they're put in front of me my heart feels a little sense of joy or excitement mm. over it. So it's it's been pretty fun to see where God is bringing me. It's It's been good. So pray over that and pray over me in this situation because we are expecting God's answer to this on Friday. And the last question that I had for Numbers chapter 8, and this is just kind of to think about for the week, right? How can we use our gifts and our talents to serve others? I love that Mm. question. So how can we use those gifts and talents to be a blessing to someone else? Whether it's all of the mentors that lined up for Forrest, the story that we read at the beginning of this, whether it's all those mentors that lined up and said, I'm going to write this letter today. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write this encouraging letter. And I'm going to, you know, I talked to somebody today who has been with us since 2005. So 18 years. And he knew he was like, I think I've done around 600 wow. lessons. I mean, he knew. Wow. And that's, oh. you know, it's humbling, you know, and Beautiful he said to things. me, he says, I'm not real good at public speaking, not real good at sharing my faith face to face, but when I'm able to sit down, collect my thoughts, and write something to someone, he said, I'm able to do that in such a way <gasps> that I would have never shared my faith with 600 plus people, <laughs> you know, over the course how of how beautiful however, is I know, that? It's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. Oh, so those are holy things in human yeah. hands. And so sharing your faith doesn't always have to look like. I'm a preacher on TV or, or I'm on somebody with a podcast or, or yeah. I'm a, it doesn't have to look mm-hmm. like any of that Mm-mm. because so many times we have the opportunities to share Jesus just through the things that we're yes. doing and, and how we're acting. Some of the yes. best sermons don't have any words. Amen. So friends, that's all we have here today. We hope that you were blessed by this episode. If you were, hit the like button, maybe drop a comment. We appreciate your support. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's how we grow this podcast. So we appreciate if you've been blessed by any part of this, consider sharing it with a friend. That's an honor to us. And we would love to engage them in conversation through their journey. We would. We're chatty people. We are a little chatty. Let's (laughs) talk. So friends, it's been great. We hope you have a great rest of the week and uh, just be blessed. Yes, please. And we'll be back soon. We will. See you soon. Bye.
And the questions for today, again, on something to think about. In Matthew, we have, why do you think Jesus's answers surprise the religious leaders? And how can we show wisdom and kindness in our conversations? Then in Romans, we have, what does it mean to fall short? or make mistakes. I mean, I, I'm not very versed in making a lot of mistakes. So if somebody could help me out there with that. And uh, how does God's love and forgiveness help us? Then we got Psalm 51. Why is it important to admit when we've done something wrong? And how can we ask God for forgiveness and start fresh? We talked about how good it feels to start fresh. So why not take that step of confession mm. and starting fresh? Yes. And then in numbers, we have what are some ways that we can show dedication and gratitude to God? And how can we use our gifts and our talents to serve others? Friends, I hope you have a great week and that you're blessed beyond measure. If you need prayer, drop it down in the comments or hit us up on a private message. We would love to pray for you. Thanks again, and have a great week. And thanks for joining us on this journey through the message.